um, is, is Jesus coming into the city of Jerusalem. Um, and as he is entering Jerusalem, uh, he is preparing himself. He knows, right? He's been telling his disciples for, for so many, like many, many times, and they, they, they have thick heads, like me. They have really thick heads. Even if he uses, it's like, like I'm going to die. Like the Son of Man is going to like, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to die soon. And they're like, oh, I, we don't believe you, you know. But uh, Jesus knows in his heart that what he is to do. And as he uh, comes into this, this city of Jerusalem, it's like this triumphant entry, right? It's like this victorious entry, right? But we know what's going to happen. And Jesus knows what is going to happen. And it's almost like this little, like kind of like this bittersweet moment where he is, he is the King of kings and he is the Lord of lords. And yet he comes into this, the, this city and people celebrate him. But it's, it's in the most humble way possible. And we know that Jesus coming into the city um, isn't to take his place uh, as the king of the Jews, but it's to take his place as the sacrificial lamb, as, as, as the one that would, would hang on a cross to pay for the sins of all who put their hope in him. And so it is, uh, it is a very, uh, yeah, it's like it's one of those things where like it's a triumphant entry, but we know where he's going to. And I, I believe that God wants our hearts to walk with him and as we approach Easter next Sunday. So next week, I'm going to take a break from preaching out of Joshua, and I'm going to be preaching an Easter Sunday sermon. But today, we're going to continue on with Joshua, uh, one of my favorite Old Testament books. And uh, we've, been, we've seen the people of Israel leave Egypt. You know, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, right? A long time. Um, until all of these, uh, you know, thick-headed, uh, you know, old gangsters die off. And then now this new generation uh, comes to the edge of the promised land. They cross the Jordan, right, this flowing river, and uh, they're able to actually set foot into the promised land. And last week we, we talked about how God has them, uh, like, uh, you know, erect these, these stones at, the, at, the, at, at, w- at where they camp after they cross the Jordan. And it is a monument to what God had done. If you think about it, like, they say, theologians say there was about one to two million people that had to cross the Jordan River. But even now, with the technology that we have in modern time, with like boats and all that, it would still be like a very big endeavor to move two million people. Even one million people. Imagine one million people. I don't think like I've, you know, like seen with my eyes ever like one million people in front of me, right? You've seen it on TV, but I've never, like even if I'm standing at like a crowded like city in, 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 in Korea, like in Seoul, in like during rush hour, and I look out at all of at the street, and people are walking down the street. There still isn't a million people on the street, right? And so it's like a big endeavor, and God is able to have them cross, right, by His miraculous hand. He holds the water, and they're able to cr- go across. And then, and then God has them erect these stones, and this is the reason why God wants them to erect these stones is so that all the people of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Um, God wants the people of Israel to never forget this. Not because God is a narcissist, not because God needs like, oh, I want you, you guys all have to know that like I'm the best, right? You know those guys like that, right? Like whenever somebody gets a prize and they're like, oh, you know what, I like, I also got a prize. You know, like people, God's not like that, right? God's not like, he's not insecure, right? 
that God, there's no one that comes anywhere close to God. That God doesn't need us to like be, oh, God, you're great, you're holy. You're. He wants the people of Israel to hold on to this truth that God is mighty and that to have a fear of the Lord because it will help them to be on the right path as they go into the, to the promised land. It will keep them from following after false gods, and it, and it is the recipe for them to not only enter into the promised land, but to like to and to possess the promised land, but to actually hold on to the promised land. And this is God telling them, hey, you need to remember this, because if you're going to hold on to the land that I'm giving you, you have to remember this, right? Is that that all the people in the earth may know that the, the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. And so God has them erect these 12 stones, right? In, and Joshua actually erects one in the midst of the river as well, right? To kind of show them that, you know, like it's like this picture of the people that, that enter the promised land, but the ones that are also buried in the Jordan River, right? It's pretty like, it's like, it's pretty poetic where, where the, there's a generation of people that didn't make it into the promised land. And it's because of the lack of faith that they had. Um, and today we move on to chapter 5 of Joshua. And chapter 5, I'm actually going to break up into three sermons going into the future. So it's going to be a few weeks of preaching out of uh, chapter 5. Um, but I believe that these next sermons, I'm going to call it like the final checklist. You know, when you go, when you travel, me, uh, our family did a lot of traveling uh, this past winter. And when you travel, you always have to have like a final checklist, right? We pack. Usually it takes like us like one whole day to pack, you know, because we don't just pack for ourselves. We pack for our kids, and we have to pack for all the things they need, and we have to pack their toys, and we have to pack their cookies, and all those things. There's like a billion things we need to pack. Um, and then right before we leave, we do a final checklist. Okay, do you have do we have like do you have your phone, right? Like do we have like you know do we have the formula when we used to go when Ezra used to come? Do you have this choo be right? <laughs> Ezra still has a pacifier. He's He's almost three, but he still has a pacifier. And if we lose that pacifier, like, like it is, it's the end of the world for him, right? Like, he, he will have a fit. And so we have to we have this final checklist. And I believe that, that these next few passages out of chapter 5 is God getting them ready to actually wage a war against the people of Canaan and to actually, for them to possess the land that they've been promised. Uh, and it's this final checklist of things that they need to do. And the first thing that God had them do, and they're about to go into battle, and Tabile just read it for us recently, uh, right before I came up. The first thing is to point out here is that, that wait, what did I write here? Oh, oh, and we, uh, like, uh, so I'm going to talk about this more when I preach about the walls of Jericho falling down. But the first thing that when we read when we read what uh, Tabile read up there, the first thing that we have to keep in mind is that God's ways are different from the ways of the world. You know, um, I'm, I'm, let's read it together. Right? It says, as soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west, and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over. Their hearts melted, and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel, right? This is the perfect time to strike, right? The wisdom of the world, the wisdom of the world, the, 
The wisdom of the world would tell us that the enemy is scared. They're terrified of us. It is now that you must strike, right? Any military strategist would tell you, right, they heard about, like, Rahab said, you know what? When you guys left Egypt and, and God parted the Red Sea, the, the people here freaked out, right? They literally lost all hope. Their hearts melted, right? And they are so afraid of you guys, right? And then now they cross over the Jordan. They're like, they're thinking that, right, there's no way that they can cross over the Jordan. It's like harvest time. The, the Jordan has like flooded its banks. It's almost a mile long across, right? There's no way that these Israelites are going to be able to, their God's not going to do this for them twice. And then they do, and they cross over. And then it says that the hearts of these kings have melted. They're so afraid. And you, and, and out of, you know, if, if anybody has any kind of like military strategy or, or military like teaching, they know that this is the best time for them to strike. But God tells them, make flint knives and have all of the men circumcised, incapacitating them for weeks. If a chariot general was in charge of the battle plan, I guarantee you he will not tell them, y'all go and circumcise this stuff, right? And I think I've said this before, but the reason I know that God exists is because of circumcision. You guys have to understand that there was no man in the history of the world that all of a sudden came up with this idea that, like, you know what's a great idea? I'm going to circumcise myself, right? There's no way. Like, there's no man. Like, Abraham wasn't, like, thinking one day, you know what would be a good idea? Like, to snip, snip, the tip of my, you know what, right? This, you know that circumcision is from the Lord, right? There has to be. Circumcision has to be from the Lord. And, 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 we, and as, we, as we look at this whole procedure, of circumcision and, and, and the timing of it all, we have to know that God's ways are different. Circumcision is a sign that God's ways are different than the ways of the world. God knew how important it was for them to do this. On the doorstep of the enemy, make flint knives and circumcise the men that were not circumcised in the wilderness. That's know that the timing of the world and the timing of God are very different. Let's understand this. God is different from the world. And we, as the people of God, we need to be different from the world. We are to be set apart. We follow a different value system. We, we follow a different standard. We follow a different timetable. We can't do everything the way that the world does. We can't, like, do everything out of the same motivation that the world does things and expect to succeed the way that God wants us to succeed. The world says wealth, fame, power is a sign of success. If you drive the right car, if you live in the right house, if you have the right kind of job, if you have the right kind of career, you know, if you look a certain way, you're successful. But God's understanding of success is very different. Because he is different. He is in no way like the world. And even if God's will is for you to be famous, even if it's God's will for you to live in a big house, even if it's God's will for you to have all this influence and, like, have money and have wealth and, and you know, drive a nice car, the way that you're going to get there is going to be very different than the way of the world. How you get there is very different and very important to God. He's more concerned about the, the process and who you become when you actually get there. When we read the Old Testament, right, the Old Testament, Egypt is a symbol of the world. It's the world standard. 
And God delivers the people of Israel from, from Egypt and, and has them wander in the wilderness for 40 years to rid them of that worldly mindset. The mindset of what brings them security, the mindset of what brings them success. For a slave, being able to eat meat is success. You know, and and they, they're like, let's go back to Egypt. At least in Egypt, we got to eat meat, right? That's, that's, that's the slave mentality. That's the mentality of the world. And God has to have them wander through the wilderness for 40 years, not only like, you know, so that the, the older generation can actually die off, but also so that they can actually like know that follow, I have to, I need everything from God. Like, like if God doesn't show up today, we're going to starve, right? And they have to completely depend on the Lord. And as they did this for 40 years, they had a new understanding and a new mindset. They broke out of that mindset of Egypt and was able to have the mindset that they needed to enter and possess the promised land. God wanted them to be different, to be in the world, but not of the world. He wanted them to be his, and his people are not like the rest of the world. And so God has them circumcised because circumcision is a sign of our obedience and allegiance to God. Circumcision was an external sign that they were different, that they were set apart, that they belonged to God. And circumcision was a sign that they were different from the rest of the world. It was an outward commitment to obey God and be one of his chosen people. Now, uh, let's read uh, Genesis 17. I'm going to read it up here. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram Abraham fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall you, your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojourning, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I, I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be, shall, shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Let's read that again. It shall be a sign of the covenant, of the promise right, between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generation whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. An uncircumcised male who is not circum circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. God takes this very seriously. 
For circumcision was to be a sign of the covenant that was made between God and his people. God makes his amazing promise to Abraham that you will be my people and I will be your God and you will prosper. I'm going to give you this promised land. Your offspring are going to be like the, the, the stars of the sky and the dust of the earth, right? You're going to, like kings are going to come from you. And here's a sign that you're going to be my people. You're going to be different, right? You're not going to be like everyone else. You're going to be set apart and you're going to be circumcised. You and all your male descendants shall be circumcised. To God, this is more important than any battle strategy that they could have come up with. As they entered into the promised land, as they, as they entered into the doorstep of the enemy, right, this, what they had to do, was more important than any opportune moment, was more important than any kind of a strategy, was more important than any kind of weapons that they possessed for them to, to enter into the promised land. They had to go back and embrace the covenant and the promise that God said to them. Is your life different than that of the world? Is the direction and the motivation of how you live your life just like everyone else? Or are you led by God and is your motivation and the unction that, that drives you, is it God and his ways? The way of the world is going to send us down two paths, right? Like the way of the world is like, you know, I want to be like everyone else. You have to be like everyone else. Right? You got to have the right car. You got to have what your neighbor has. You got to have you got to have the job like your friend, right? That you went to high school with. Well, he's a lawyer. Well, you got to be a lawyer. Or you got to be better. You got to be. You got to either you have to have what every what be like everyone else, or another way that the world is going to send you is you have to be so special. You you have to be so special. You you have to be like. You cannot be like everyone else. You have to be so special that you're going to be so special that everybody's eyes are going to be on you. And when you look at the, 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 the voice and the way that the world kind of like pushes you forward, the key is I, is me. I have to be like this. I have to look this way. I have to have this. I have to be like everyone else. Or I have to be so special that, that, that like, Everybody's going to look at me. Everybody's going to look at me and be like, oh, they have it together. Everybody's going to look at me and say, oh, like he, that person knows what he's doing. But the way of God, right? the way of God says him, 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 not me, me, me. God says it's all about him. Follow him. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are greater than ours. God's ways and the way that God does things is very different from the way of the world. So we, as his people, must be different. You know, it's one thing that can make us different is God residing in us, God being in us. And there's a lot of hipsters out there that, that love being different, right? But they don't know what they're doing. But God knows what he's doing, right? not just about being different for the sake of being different, but it's being different. It's being set apart so that we can actually hear and understand the way that God wants us to be. So the new generation needed to know that they were different. They needed to know that they were set apart. Because before they went in conquering the Canaanites, you know, and claimed the promised land, the people of Israel needed to know that they were supposed to be different, set apart. 
They weren't supposed to be like all the other people that lived in Canaan. They was they were supposed to be God's people. They were supposed to be holy. And they've been wandering in the wilderness for forty years, and in those forty years, they didn't circumcise them. So the babies that were born and the young kids that were under twenty that were wandering in the wilderness as they become men, they weren't circumcised. And they didn't know what it was to be circumcised, what it actually meant to the people. For 40 years, the younger generation, as they grew up, they had no understanding like, that, that what it actually, what the circumcision actually me- meant for the people of God. And here, at the doorstep of the enemy, God has them all circumcised because they needed to know that they were set apart. They needed to know that they were God's people, people of promise, And it's one thing to be told this, and it's another thing to be circumcised. The Jewish people needed signs. Well, here's a sign of God's holiness. Here's a sign of you being set apart for the Lord. It's a physical thing. That was circumcision to the people of Israel. It was a sign of promise, a sign of covenant. It was never meant to be something that they just did. You know, but like, why do you do that? I don't know. We just do it. You know, it was supposed to actually mean and, and, and point to the promise that God made to them and their people. It represented that they belonged to God and that they were God's people. They were in covenant with the one and only true living God of Israel. And as a new generation of Israelites stand at the entry point of the promised land, at the doorstep of the enemy, God reaffirms his promise with his people, go make flint knives and circumcise your generation of men as they're wandering in the wilderness. Gives them a physical, external, yet personal sign to themselves that they belong to me, that they are my people, that I am their God, that they are set apart and holy. And we have to understand that the central meaning of this circumcision is still for us today. The actual ri- right, the actual ritual of circumcision no longer applies, right? Because Paul talks about it many times. He fights Peter. He says there's this party in, in Galatians. Back then there was a party. It's called the circumcision party. They were going around saying, well, if you, if you become a Christian but you weren't a Jew, you need to be circumcised. And Peter actually was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But then Paul is like adamant. He, like, he confronts Peter to his face. He's like, man, right? Circumcision, all of that, you know, it, it it no longer applies. It's only by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, Him dying on the cross, and you putting your hope and faith in Him, right? And so the actual, like the ritual of circumcision, doesn't apply. Ethan and Ezra, they're both not circumcised. It doesn't mean that they're going to miss out on the promises of God, right? But the heart of circumcision is still for us today. We need a circumcision of the heart. Our hearts don't have foreskins, thank God. But it does have the flesh, right? And God tells us to be circumcised in the heart. Man has reduced holiness to behavior. We've reduced holiness to behavior, but true holiness is so much more than just behavior. It is a transformation of the heart. You guys know you know, I can be up here, and I can come off like the most holy person that ever was. I could be like John Nisha times two, right? Uh, I don't know if you guys know John Nisha, but hands down, he is the holiest man next to Jesus that I've ever met. Right? He's a holy guy, right? 
I could, I could do everything that John Newfeld does, and I could be just as disciplined. I, but it makes it doesn't. If if it's coming from a place of like that's not right before the Lord, it says in the Bible that God looks at the heart. He doesn't look at the exterior. I can I can come off as holy, 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 but in my heart I could be like pride, pride, pride. I'm so holy. Everybody look at me. I look like you know how much of the Bible that I read. You know how much of the Bible I memorize. And so. So what God wants isn't just, like, the God's definition of holiness isn't behavior. Yeah, it involves behavior, right? You can't be holy and, and then, like, live a, like, a, like a, you know, a sinful life. But, but it's not just behavior, but it's an actual transformation of the heart. A circumcision where the heart is different than all the rest of the hearts that are out in the earth. A heart that is consecrated and set apart for God. I'm going to read this to you guys. Deuteronomy 36. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. Circumcise yourself. Jeremiah 4, 4 to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts, O men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. Deuteronomy 10.16, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your hearts and be no longer stubborn. Colossians 2.11, in him also we were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Philippians 3, 3. For we are the circumcision who worship by, spirit, by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. The actual physical circumcision that the Jews were to do was a precursor to what the believer in Christ is supposed to do with, with our hearts. The circumcision of the heart is removing of the flesh it's cutting away of the fleshly desires and a holy devotion to the will of God. But we have to remember there are two objectives to circumcision. If you look at actual circumcision, what, what, what happens to a, a, a and I'm going to get a little bit graphic here. You guys have to understand. No, but the thing is, God is very graphic. You know that, right? God, God could have chosen like this, a circumcision to be like the tip of our pinky, right? Like, oh, you will be circumcised. You will cut off the tip of your pinky. Or he could have been like, oh, you will be circumcised, and it's like, it's like a removing a piece of your earlobe. No. He chose the most, like, personal, the most, like, you know, like, the most, the part that Adam covered because he felt shame, right? Like, the part that he sewed fig leaves and he covered that, only that part because he chooses the most personal and the most, like, graphic part of who we are and says that that's going to be a sign now. And so you have to understand, God is graphic. And I'm going to get a little graphic here. Pretend that it's a health class, right? But there's two objective, objectives to circumcision. Circumcision is cutting away of the foreskin. It's a cutting away the fleshly part of, 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 the, of the, you know. And, and the circumcision of the heart is also that. It's the cutting away of the fleshly part of our heart. Our fleshly sinful desire. Our sinful desire that... Like, like the, the part of our thinking and the, and the desires that we know is wrong. 
the part of our flesh that goes against the will of God for us, the part of that wants to satisfy our base desires, the part of our hearts that leads us into sin, that is founded on pride and lust and covetousness and all of these, these, these bad things. It, 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 you know, it talks about the works of the flesh and all of these things. We know that it's still in us. And Jesus saved us, right? And his blood covers us. It doesn't mean that our sinful nature, it, it all of a sudden is gone. We don't have the ability to sin, right? No. Our, our, our sinful nature still is, our flesh is still there. So it's not just ignoring this part of our hearts. It's taking the power of the Holy Spirit and cutting that fleshliness away. You know, it's like, it's like taking that part of our hearts and just allowing the Holy Spirit to just cut it away so that it, it no longer is something that we harbor in our hearts. And we need the power of the Holy Spirit. But there's also another objective to circumcision that we have to keep in mind. And this is the part. Circumcision, where it cuts away the, 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 the foreskin, but it also exposes a part of the genitalia that is actually very sensitive. It's cutting away the flesh and also exposing the sensitive part of that thing, you know. And in the same way, the circumcision of the heart, we have to allow the Holy Spirit to cut away the fleshly part of our hearts, but we, we, it also exposes that, that sensitive part of our hearts that, that, that we have to allow God to come, and that's the part of our heart that leads us into the Spirit. God, Holy Spirit cuts away the sinful nature and our sinful desires, but it's also that we have to, we have to expose that sensitivity to the leading of the Holy Spirit, so our hearts can be more sensitive to the spiritual. I'm going to read Galatians to you. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And what circumcision of the heart does in removing the flesh so that we can be more sensitive to the things of the spirit. You guys have to keep this in mind. Because flesh brings death, but the Spirit brings life. So when we circumcise our hearts, it's, it's exposing that part of our heart, a sensitive part of our hearts that, that allows us to be led by God, our hearts, and allow God into that most sensitive and vulnerable part of our hearts. It's cutting away and surrendering. Cutting away and surrendering and allowing God to touch that part of our heart. That, that says, you know what, if you want to be led by God, you have to allow God into that part of our hearts. You know the part where if somebody touches it, it hurts, right? If somebody touches it wrong, we've all been hurt by people, right? You know, there's that part of our hearts that, like, when somebody says something in a bad way or, or somebody, like, you know, makes fun of you, you know, we felt it all our life, even when we were, like, four, three years old, and we realized that, oh, that part of my heart actually hurts, right? So, we, well, what, what circumcision does is it exposes that part of our heart. The same way with when, when, when a boy is circumcised, it actually exposes that part of his, his, his member. And then as that is exposed, we have to allow that part of our heart to be led by God. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, in the Word of God, is like a surgeon. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any 
double-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and of spirit, of joint and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God is not so concerned about your outside, what you do and how you act. He's concerned about your heart because it's your heart is the source of all of the things that you do. And what the Holy Spirit wants to do to your heart is to circumcise it, to cut away the flesh that corrupts, that leads to sin, and help our hearts to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit so that not only, like, did we, did we like, not do these bad things, right? Like, the things of the flesh, you're like, well, God, I don't want to do these bad things. Well, you're not doing all these bad things, but you're not actually doing what God is, is calling you to do, right? Like what, what, what a circumcision of the heart is, a devoting of our hearts to the will of God so that not only are we like fighting off the flesh, not only are we killing the flesh, but we're actually allowing God to come and lead our hearts, exposing that sensitive part of our hearts and, and, and allowing us to hear from the Holy Spirit and to be led by the Holy Spirit. There is a war happening in our hearts, a war between flesh and the spirit. We read about it earlier in Galatians. The desires of the flesh are against the desires of the spirit. As, as believers, we have a Holy Spirit in us leading us into life and, and the things of the spirit, but we also have our flesh that leads us into the fleshly things and that leads us into sin and ultimately death. And this week, you know, like I... I had a moment when this actually happened, and, and, and as this happened, I remember the Holy Spirit telling me, like, hey, you're going to talk about this in your sermon, right? And I was like, no! So much shame, right? And so, um, and then God, I, I feel like this is the perfect example. This happened, I feel like God is like, hey, I'm going to allow this to happen so that it can be an actual example of, 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 of this war that is happening within our hearts, right? So recently, you know, I've been selling a lot of stuff in our house. We have so much clutter in our house that, like, we've been, like, you know, I've been selling all this stuff. I'm selling bags I don't need. I'm selling, I sold my old bicycle. You know, and then we have this old AC unit that we've, I've had since when I first came to Korea in 2007. I think I bought it in 2008. It's really old, uh, but it still works. And it's been up in our attic, and it's sitting outside, and it hasn't been used for some years. And then, um, you know, I try to sell it online, and nobody wants to buy it. I called this one guy I know that installs air conditioning, right? He installed our AC, you know, and he charged us you know, a lot of money. But he, he also took away our, our washing machine, right? And then he, like, barely gave us any money for it. And so, but I, 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 didn't, I didn't think much of it. So I just called him, and I said, hey, I have this AC. And he's like, oh, I'll come right away. So he comes, and he, I take him upstairs. He goes upstairs, and he already is grabbing it and carrying it downstairs, right? And I was like, oh, wait, wh- wh- what's going on? He's like, oh. I'll help you. You know, he's all he's all carrying it downstairs. He takes it outside, and I said, "Oh, okay. Then you're gonna buy it. How much are you gonna give me?" He's like, "Oh, this is broken. Right? I can't even get any money for it. I'm ju- I'll just take out a part that's inside, and then uh, and I'll just give you ten dollars for it. I'll give you a mano." And I was like, "What?" He's like, I, "I'm pretty sure it still works." He's like, "No, no. Like you left this thing open, and it doesn't work. And uh, I'm pretty. Sh- it, it definitely is broken. I can't even get any money for it." And I was like, "Well, I have the remote control. He's like, well, I don't even need the remote control. I'm gonna throw it away, basically." I'm just going to take out the, the piece that's inside, and then I'm going to sell it. So I was like, all right, you know, forget it. I, I was tired. I just took a mind on, and then, and then I was it. He left. 
And then the other day, remember when uh, you guys left me at that Kogi restaurant and I had to walk home? I, was, I, I left and I had to walk home, take the subway home. I usually don't take the subway, but this guy's store is right next to the subway. And I got out of the subway and I'm walking. And you got to understand, this AC unit I've had since I was like, uh, like, like it, 2007, I've seen it so many times. And there's a specific mark where these little kids in my neighborhood in Seoul would step on it to go over this wall, right? Because it was on the floor. And so there was like this like dent in the top of this the air conditioner unit, you know, the big unit that spins. You know, we have one right there. So imagine that, but really small, and there's like a dent on top, right? So I, I'm walking, and I, I look. I can already recognize it. I was like, oh, that's my air conditioning, right? I go up there, and then he had actually fixed the dent so that it, it wasn't all, like, dented in, but it was actually straight. But I could tell, like, where he had fixed the dent, and then he, and he had wrapped a little hole, and then he was selling it. And so I was like, oh, and then, I, and then I was like, okay, and I'm walking away. And this is exactly this, this is what I wanted to point out. I'm walking away, and the Holy Spirit is saying, it comes in my heart, forgive him and let it go. I, I, I genuinely heard him say this, and my, and my heart said, okay, God, I'm going to let it go. So I'm walking, I walk all the way to, to near Kimbap Chungguk, but then this fleshliness is like, how dare he? I can feel my flesh rising. How dare he? He lied to you, right? He lied, and he's selling it. He's probably going to make a lot of money. And I was like, oh. But then I, I felt the Holy Spirit say, forgive him and let it go. But then, th- and then, th- but then the, f- the flesh is so enticing, right? And I can just all of you see my feet ju- changing direction. I was like. <laughs> I walk back, and I take a picture of it, and I text it to him. I was like, wow. That, that, that air conditioning that you bought for $10 to throw away, you're selling it really well. I said it in Korean, right? I just, I just wanted, and then, and then he called me back, and then he's all like cursing at me, saying, that's not the right one. And I was like, dude, I've looked at this unit for the last 10 years. I know what it looks like. I, could, I know the little marks on top. And he's just, he's just he's saying that it's not it, it's not it, it's not it. And in the end, I'm like, and, I'm, and then I get heated, so I start raising my voice. And I was like, ah, and then at the end, the Holy Spirit is like, is like, you need to be humble yourself, right? I genuinely heard God say, humble yourself. And I was like, oh. And so I said, all right, I'm sorry. I, I told the guy, I'm sorry. I must have mistaken. And then, and then we hung up the phone. And I, at the end, I just felt like, I felt so bad. Right? But the reason I tell you the story is that I genuinely heard the Holy Spirit telling me, forgive him and let it go. I, I, I could feel it in my heart, right? That was that that's that's Holy Spirit trying to circumcise my heart, right? You guys understand? It's not easy to circumcise your heart, right? It's not easy to cut away that flesh. It hurts. At that moment, it hurt. I was like, Holy Spirit, no! <laughs> I was like, injustice, right? All of this stuff, like, how dare he, right? And in that moment, I felt Holy Spirit leading me. And he said, this, like, you're going to be a better man for this. I want you to walk in this. I, I, I can feel the leading of the Spirit. But then the flesh, oh, the flesh rose up. And at the end of the day, I felt so dumb. And I, I felt Holy Spirit, as he told me to humble yourself, I said, and I actually did at that moment. I, led, I heeded the warning of the Spirit, and so I was like, I apologize to the guy. I said, I'm sorry. I said, forgive me, I must have made a mistake. I know I didn't make a mistake, right? I know my AC unit, man. I, lo- I looked at that thing for the last 10 years, right? But the God said, humble yourself. And so I, I apologize. I'm sorry. I must have made a mistake.
I'm sorry. You know, he, he hung up, and I hung up. At the end, he, the guy was telling me, like, hey, like, I, I gave you a choice, and you chose wrong. Right? That's what he told me. But don't choose wrong next time. Circumcise your heart. Right? Like, like, you have to allow me to go and change your heart. Those are the moments where God's going to change your heart. Those moments where you feel your flesh rising up. Those moments where you feel your flesh like, oh, your, your coworker said something in a way that you know, you just want to be like, you're basic. You know, like you just want to just like blow up at him, right? And you, you know it's coming up. And then you allow the Holy Spirit to say, hey, peace, joy, love, things of the Spirit, right? The fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, no kindness, self-control, all of that thing. You have to allow that to come. And as that comes to embrace your heart, Holy Spirit comes and circumcises that, that dirty fleshly, and he takes that away. And then that's how we start to live a life being led by the Spirit of God. We start to be more sensitive to the leading of the Spirit of God. I did not learn this lesson this past week, right? I learned it, but I had to go through all of that crap of arguing with this guy, and, like, you know, getting all heated, my blood pressure going up. You know, I'm all, like, getting sweaty, you know. But there is a war happening in our hearts. There's a war happening in our hearts, and God wants us to choose the Spirit. Galatians says the things of the Spirit are against the things of the flesh. You know, I've said this before. You can't have a seesaw that does this, right? Seesaws do this, right? When the Spirit goes up, the flesh goes down, right? Ain't no seesaw that like works like this, right? There's a war in your heart. That's why with the flesh, we can't just ignore it. We get really good at ignoring the flesh sometimes, right? Like we, we, we ignore it. When something comes up, we ignore it, but we don't allow the Holy Spirit to come and cut that part of our, our heart away. We just ignore it. And we just let it kind of simmer in there. We're like, all right, I'm going to... I'm not going to blow up at this guy, but I'm just going to hold on to this unforgiveness, right? I do that a lot. I like when Mina would say something, they're like, okay, my love, I forgive you. But I really don't. I'm like, ah, you know? I hold on to it, and it comes up again in another argument. I'm like, remember when you did that? And, uh, you know? We, we get really good at ignoring our flesh, but God doesn't want us to ignore our flesh. He wants us to cut it away like cancer. And that can only happen is when we allow Holy Spirit in those moments. And I know you guys know what those moments are. Right? In those moments, when you allow the Holy Spirit to take charge, and you, you, you become more sensitive to his leading, and as you embrace the things of the Spirit, Holy Spirit is going to cut away that, that fleshliness from your heart. You know, what, you know, when this happens, you feel so much better afterwards. You really do. You feel victorious. I don't know if you've ever had this kind of, but I've had, you know, Mina's a better person than me, and, and so Mina, is, she goes through it a lot more, but there have been times where I was like, the flesh rose up, and then I chose love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and then all of a sudden, God would take away that, that, that the ugliness, it would be gone, and then I, I, I would feel like, I feel the victory. I feel Jesus saying, hey, you're victorious in me. You allowed the Holy Spirit to come and circumcise your heart. And as your heart is circumcised, man, you, like you, feel, you feel true joy. You feel true love. You feel true patience and kindness. Right? That is the circumcision 
of the heart. It's not ignoring it. You can't ignore your flesh and put it in a cage. It's like putting the Hulk in a cage and expecting to beat it. Right? The Hulk's going to, I do, I do, I, I see a lot of the Hulk because the kids love the Hulk. And you know, the Hulk can't be contained by no cage, right? You're going to be like, bust that, you know? That's like our flesh. We can't just try to hide and, and just kind of like covertly like leave our flesh. Like, oh, I'm going to leave it un- under this bed so that no one is uh, going to see it. But you know what? It's, it's, it's like a gremlin. I don't know if you know what gremlins are, right? It, like, you can't just hide a gremlin. It's going to blow up and it's going to get everywhere. It's going to just like, you know, that's the flesh. But God is saying, hey, allow the Holy Spirit. You can't do it by yourself. You're never meant to, to deal with your heart by yourself. Your heart is not something that God wants you to take care of because you didn't make your heart. Who made your heart? God made your heart. The only person that could take care of your heart is God. Right? You have to allow Holy Spirit to come and deal with that part of your heart. And that means you humble yourself and you, and you choose the things of the Spirit in those moments where it's the hardest. God tells us, circumcise your heart. Cut away that flesh. Galatians says, we have been crucified we have crucified the flesh, meaning we kill it. We put it to death. It's hard, and God knows that it's hard. It's hard to deal with the flesh. And you can have, be having a great month. Ah, man, I've been so good for this whole month, and then one thing happens, and all of a sudden you're like, ah, oh, right back in, all like back into the flesh. But we were never meant to do it alone. He gave us his spirit. In any situation, if you are a believer of Jesus Christ, if you put your hope and faith in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit in you, and in whatever situation you have access to the power of the Holy Spirit to turn that situation into a moment of flesh or a moment of the Spirit. That's when we are different. I talked about being different in the beginning. We're called to be different. The Jews... The Hebrews, they were meant to be different. They were not supposed to be the same as everyone else. Well, how are we to be different? We're supposed to be led by a different compass altogether than that of the world. That's when we're different. When we're in a, in a situation at our workplace and, and something happens and, and that flesh rises up. I mean, that, that happened to me a lot when I used to be a Hagan teacher. And it was like, wow. But then you are Holy Spirit. Choose you. It's like Captain Planet. I don't know. I, I choose you, Holy Spirit. You choose the things of the Spirit. You're like, you know what? I'm gonna have patience. I'm gonna choose patience. I'm gonna choose love. And as you genuinely take a choice, right? And then and and you allow the Holy Spirit to cut away that that nastiness that is coming out. That's how we are different from the world. When you put your flesh to death, we cut it away, and we are more, more sensitive to the things of the Spirit, we yield to the leading of the Spirit. It's about yielding. And in the light of everything, it may not seem that different. Like you, you know, in that moment, I could have just, I could have just like, you know, just, you know, like I could have chose the Holy Spirit, and I'd be like, ah, oh, I'm going to bless that man. I know he like did me wrong, but I'm going to I'm going to love him, and I'm just going to bless him. I got, it, didn't, it may not seem that different. Nobody else might not know. It. Like, nobody else would have, fi- like, heard about that, right? It could have been just a moment. But in that moment, God knows, and God says, you are victorious. And he says, you are different. It might just be a choice that you make at your work. It might just be a choice that you make at, 
at school, but as you choose the Spirit, you're choosing life. You're choosing the way of the Spirit. And ultimately, it comes from us circumcising our heart. But circumcision of the heart doesn't happen just once. You guys have to understand that, right? For me, one time, when I was like, I think I was like a year old, right? Ethan and Nazra, I don't know if we're going to circumcise him, but if we do, let it just be one time, right? But circumcising of the heart is something that we, we have to constantly be doing. Because, you know what? And, w- and as we continue to do it, it'll just become easier and easier. It's a choice. We cut away the flesh, we fight it, and we yield to the leading of the Spirit. I want to end by reading Galatians 5. And it's entitled, Keep in Step with the Spirit. I read it part of it earlier. Who gave me this water? Was it my wife? Thank you. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ, Christ Jesus, have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. That's what happened to me. I provoked that demon. We don't circumcise ourselves, but the Holy Spirit comes. And in his wisdom and in his power, through the power of his word, he comes and does surgery on our hearts. So that we are not of the flesh, but that we are a people that keep in step with the Spirit. And we are sensitive to his leading, and we are choosing the things of the Spirit that's going to ultimately lead us to life. Brothers and sisters, I said it earlier today, and, and I'm going to say it again. God is not concerned so much with your exterior things. And when he chose David, you know, he could have chose all his taller, better-looking brothers. But when he chose David, he was, he was, he was probably short and ruddy and redhead and, and didn't, wasn't all that. And, but God looks at the heart because he knows that from your heart is all the motivations for the things that you do. And I want us to be a church. I want us to be individuals. And I want us to be people that are continually crucifying and, and, and circumcising the flesh as we choose to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And as we yield to the Spirit, I guarantee you God is going to transform your heart. And that's what God wants. He wants to transform our hearts. He doesn't want just like it to look different. But he wants your heart to be a whole new to be. We are new in Christ. Let's all stand up and let's pray.